You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Are you ready to do anything that God might call you to do? Are you ready to do His will, even might cost you? You know, we all want to be disciples of Christ, but you know there's a cost to being a disciple. Christ talks about that cost to being a disciple. What does it cost you to be a disciple? It costs you everything, everything. You gotta give up your rights. You gotta give everything to Him. He wants us to be disciples. As Christians, when God calls us to something, it can be hard to commit. Faith is easy when you feel in charge, but when God throws a wrench in your plans, how do you respond? In today's message, Pastor Dave wants you to know that God's plan will always be the best plan for your life. Follow His calling and find purpose. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Esther chapter 3. As he continues his message, an old enemy returns. I love how God makes a plan come together. So an old enemy now returns. The enemy is an Amalekite. Haman is now sitting above all the princes of the kingdom. He has enormous power, but God permitted him to have this power because there was a purpose that God wanted to be fulfilled. Remember, I said it the very first time we met in Esther, this book is all about the providential hand of God. You can always look at this and know that God is looking so much further and has everything under control, even when you get there. As we go through this life, God has already seen the big picture. He's already seen down the road. He knows what he's doing. He knows what's happening. And as we get there, we realize, well, wait a minute. The Lord's been here all the time. Holy mackerel. So we see this thing happening. So so this guy, Haman, now is going to be really strong going to be really, really strong. So let's read in verse 1. After these things, King Ahazus promoted Haman, the son of Hagamachava, the Agite, and advanced him to the seat above all princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. So right away, you see something happening here. Right away, you can see that something's going on. We're not told what Haman did to gain the Lord's, to gain the king's favor, but I'm sure it concluded sucking up. I'm sure that he was a great flatterer. I'm sure he said all the things that the king wanted to hear. Now remember this guy, and we're going to see at the end of this chapter that they both hung around together and drank together. Now remember, it was King Ahasuerus that had the drinking party for 187 days. So this guy's used to that. Interestingly, Haman did absolutely nothing to be promoted. Not one thing. He just got promoted. When I read this, I went, yo, wait a minute. Sometimes life just isn't fair. <laughs> life just doesn't seem fair, but God always knows what he's doing. And we need to remember, we, you know, we, we throw scriptures around a lot. That's what Christians do. We throw scriptures around a lot. 
But do we really take them in? Do we really base our faith and our trust on what we're saying? The scripture says he will never leave nor forsake us. And we say that a lot, but it's true. It is so true. He will not leave nor forsake us. He is always with us, even until the end of the age, Jesus said. He's always there. So we throw these things out. We have to base our, put our feet in and be steadfast and immovable in what we say. The Lord will never forsake the righteous. He will never forsake you, ever. No matter what's happening in your life, even though it looks like he has forsaken you, he will not forsake you. Why? Because Jesus was forsaken on our part. He was the one when God turned away and he yelled out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took on everything so that we wouldn't have to. We wouldn't have to be forsaken. It says they bowed before this guy, Haman. Get the picture here. In this day and age, people just didn't bow at the waist like they do now. They were on all fours with their face on the ground, touching the ground when they bowed to people. And it was obvious to everyone, if you're in a whole group of people and they all bow and you don't, it's pretty obvious that you're not bowing, okay? You can't fake that. You can't fake that time. And here's a guy in the past who never told anybody he was a Jew. He never told anybody he was a Jew. In fact, they don't even know that Esther is a Jew. Now he has enough guts to admit that he is a Jew. But here... He has enough of the Lord in him that he won't bow down to Haman. I love that. How much of the Lord is in you? How much of the Lord do you have? If you're asked to do something, will you bow down before them? If you're asked to do something, will you acquiesce and bow down? That's what I want to know. We have all of the Lord in us, but when the time comes, will we bow down? Will you take the mark? Will you worship the Antichrist? Will you do those things? I don't know. I hope we're not here to find out. See, God's people were commanded not to bow as an act of worship to anything. They were not to bow. They were not to bow to anyone nor anything but the Lord himself. Reading through the book of Revelation, John bows and falls down and worships two people. They're both angels. What did they say? Don't worship me. They both said that. Remember when Paul and was it Silas who were mistaken for the uh, Greek gods and they wanted to worship them? Paul said, no, don't do this. We're just men. Jews were told not to bow to anyone except the Lord himself. And even though this guy is in many ways out of the will of the Lord, he's really not following the law of the Lord. He just can't bring himself now to bow to Haman. When we were in the world, there were things that we bowed to. There were things that we bowed down. But even when we were in the world, some of us wouldn't stoop that low to do some things. Some of us still had some sort of a conscience or still had some sort of a, a reckoning that we wouldn't do certain things. There were just some things we wouldn't do. Here, Mordecai is not following God's will, but he knows not to bow to Haman. So the plot thickens now in verses 3 and 4. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily and he would not listen to them that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. For the first time, 
There's something worth in Mordecai's life that's more important, more important. So he basically proclaims the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. This is a pretty bold statement right now for him. It's a bold statement to proclaim that he is a Jew, to proclaim, told them that he was a Jew. Bold statement for them. Someone once said, quote, obedience to conscience and he will of God in defiance of the civil law is not a casual thing to be taken lightly. A lot of people, a lot of people back in the days of COVID, a lot of church people defied the law. They defied the law and did certain things. And it's not a, not a small matter. It's just not a small matter at all. And you got to be ready to take the consequences that come with doing that kind of thing. So these guys got together and they became troublemakers, little gossip guys. They went back to the kings and they went running to Haman. Mordecai doesn't bow down. Mordecai doesn't bow down. Who's that remind you of? Not me. Don't you say me. Anyhow, <laughs> Mordecai stands for the truth. And this brings Haman's dark side to the surface. God has a way of revealing things, doesn't he? God has a way of revealing truths. And when Mordecai stood for the truth, Haman's dark side was now exposed. It's interesting that many people looked at this and they see a resemblance to Adolf Hitler and anyone other who was a Satan-empowered little man in the world who can't stand it if one person won't bow to them or do their will. And this is what people are saying. So Haman turns his hate to every Jew in the kingdom. He turns this into the kingdom. Now, let's look at verses 5 and 6. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage to Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of the king of Hazareth, they cast pur, that is the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Here's the picture. Haman wants to succeed in his destruction of the Jews, so he consults his God. He consults his God and gets this lot and they now have this time. They know exactly when it's going to happen. It's going to happen on the month of Adar at the end of their year. It's interesting that when they did an excavation of the ancient city Susa in 1880 and 1890, they discovered quadrangular prism with numbers 1, 2, 5, and 6 engraved on their sides. It's believed that this is the lot that they were talking about here. It was used to determine exactly when they have Greatest success in killing the Jews. In Proverbs 16, it tells that the lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. They may have cast their lot. They may be planning to exterminate the Jews on this particular date, but they don't know who they're up against. They have no idea who is for his people, who the God is. As I told you, all this is about the providential hand of God. You can see it all building up. I hope you can see it all building up. Let's look at 8 and 9. 
Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the providence of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all the other people's, and they do not keep the king's law. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who will do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. Hmm. Remember, the king had just came from a very expensive war. He attacked Greece and failed. So his treasuries were kind of puny right now. So the thought of putting more money into the treasuries seemed like a pretty good thing to him. Money is the root of all evil, isn't it? I mean, look at that. It doesn't take for Haman much for him to convince the king to do this thing. He promises to pay the assassins 10,000 talents of silver and bring all the confiscated property into the king's treasury. The thought of more money clouded the king's vision, and he didn't even ask who these people were. He didn't even care who they were. He heard the word more money, and he acted. They estimated that the king had lost 2 million people in his war against Greece. And that didn't bother him either. Oh, well. Little did he know that Haman's plan, the massacre, included his wife Esther. He didn't know that. He didn't know that Esther was a Jew. And from what we're saying here, it looks like he loved her. Look at verse 10. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadiathah, and Agite. I, I, my tongue twists every time. I can't help it. The enemy of the Jews. In total ignorance, the king signs the death warrant even for his own queen. He agrees to this proposal. The king's signet ring was pressed into hot wax and it became his signature. If you had that ring and had that, you were due. Everything that you did was under the king's authority. Xerxes was giving Haman power of attorney by giving him the ring. Whatever Haman needed to carry out this plan, he now had the power to obtain. Everything was set up. Everything is being set up. In verses 11 through 13, And the king said to Haman, The money and the people are given to you to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were called in the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded. So the king satraps to the governors who were over each providence, to the officials of all the people, to every providence according to its script, and every people in their language, in the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's providences to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. Not only is this plan now proposed, not only does King Azarias agree to the plan, not only does he give his signet ring, but by giving his signet ring, it becomes law. It becomes a law of the land, law of the Medes and the Persians. Someone took the time to estimate that it was translated into at least 127 different languages and distributed. The message was the same in all languages. On the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the word, well, month of Adar, 
Jews were fair game. Kill them all. Kill them all. Do I have to say it? But God. But God. But God. 14. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every providence being punished for all the people that they should be ready for that day. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. Once again, our king goes back into his good old habits and starts drinking again. Seems to be what he does. When I read this, it reminded me of Hitler's final solution. A plan that was hatched during World War II to completely exterminate the Jewish race. They completely exterminate all the Jews that lived in the conquered area by Germany. It was his final solution. But God is greater than all this, and he will always, always roar. The word went out, and basically the city was perplexed. The city was in an uproar. They were thinking these people hadn't done anything wrong. What was their guilt? They were guilty of being Jewish, very much like 1939, very much like that, just guilty of being Jewish, and they were hated. Most of them were good, law-abiding people. They were productive citizens, and they hadn't done anything. I found it interesting that the king and Haman had drinks to discuss the matter. They decided over drinks, kill an entire race of people. Another fact is throughout history, there's been a concerted effort to destroy God's people. All throughout history, from the Genesis all the way through the book and even beyond, you can read about the ways that people wanted to destroy God's people. Pharaoh wanted to kill God's people. Here you have Haman. When we get up a little closer, you have Herod. Herod sent all the people into Bethlehem to kill the babies. Now, when it comes to Christians, Nero wanted to kill God's people. And so on and so on. You get up to Hitler and all that crazy things. You get into Russia and China. All these anti-Semitic things that are happening. Not much has changed, folks. When you think about it, not much has changed. There is still a huge anti-Semitic push out there. Even some in our own government. Even some in our own government are pushing for the annihilation of Israel. So, what can we wrap this up today. Some of the things that we talked about, not doing what the Lord wants us to do, put someone in jeopardy. When you don't do what the Lord has asked you to do, you put someone in jeopardy. And I thought about this. And I thought, do you put someone's salvation in jeopardy? I don't know. Maybe. When the Lord tells you to witness to somebody and you don't do it, I know the Lord usually brings other people there and things like that, but strange. Another thing I thought about is no matter how far you run, you can never get away from the Lord. He'll always be with you. He will always track you down. You cannot get away from the Lord. Mordecai was out of the Lord's will, but he refused to bow. Even in his stubbornness, he refused to bow because he remembered God's law. If you're living in darkness, every time you're around the Bible or a believing Christian, you're living in the light of Christ. You're going to feel worse. If you're living in darkness and Christians come to you, you're going to be convicted right away. You're going to be completely convicted. And you can cast all the lots you want, but God is still in control. 
You can cast all the lots you want, but God is still in control. Somebody wrote, we need to be careful who we give our signet ring to. King gave a signet ring to Haman because he put his faith in the weasel. When you're not walking in Christ, we hang out with people we shouldn't, and we give them our signet ring. We give them power over us when we're not walking with Christ. We throw our pearls before swine when we're not walking with Christ, when we're not close to him. We even marry people we shouldn't. We go into business with people we shouldn't. Before you know it, there's a slaughter taking place, and it's your heart that's being hammered. It's your heart that's being slaughtered. We become like Haman, willing to get God completely out of the picture, willing to take God completely. So things right now look pretty bleak for the Jewish race. A time has been set for their complete annihilation. Those who are living in Persia, a time has been set. Twelfth day of the twelfth month, they're going to be all exterminated. An edict was sent out with the date. Everybody knew it. Everybody saw it. I wonder if the Jews got a hold of this edict. I wonder if they saw it and they knew it. I wonder what they were thinking. But God had a better plan. And all's not hopeless. All's not hopeless. As we continue on in the story, there are two people in major places. Two people are in major places that are going to do an extraordinary thing to keep their people from being annihilated. One of them is the Queen Esther. And the other one is even her uncle Mordecai. They're going to have a great things to do. They're ready and they're prepared to act when God gives us the call. They're prepared to do anything that it takes to be obedient to him. My question I'm going to leave you with, are you? Are you ready to do anything that God might call you to do? Are you ready to do his will? Even might cost you? You know, we all want to be disciples of Christ, but you know there's a cost to being a disciple. Christ talks about that cost to being a disciple. What does it cost you to be a disciple? It costs you everything. Everything. You've got to give up your rights. You've got to give everything to him. He wants us to be disciples. So God has a plan here, and he's already working everything out. It looks terrible. I mean, if you stopped there, you would think, well, all these Jews that were living in Persia are going to die. But... Things are going to change in a hurry. Things are going to change in a hurry, and he's going to use Esther and Mordecai to get his plan across and to save his people. God always has people in place. He always has people in place. You read through the entire Bible. All through the entire Bible, you see that God has people in place in times of trouble, always. I love the book of Judges because that's all it's about. Every time Israel went the wrong way, he had someone there to bring him back. God always has that plan, just like in our lives. When we stray, you have people who love you, people who want to talk to you, and people who want to bring you back into the Lord's grace. People who want to show you his goodness and show you his love and bring you back where you belong, into the sheep. You are When you read the story of Esther, all of it seems to happen rather quickly. Ten short chapters tell the whole story. But when you slow down and do a closer reading, you'll find that over a decade passed between the time Esther was chosen queen and the rest of the story. 
Years and years before the crisis, God moved Esther into exactly the place he needed her to be in order to save his people. This gives the whole story a much larger perspective when you consider Mordecai's words, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Have you been in the same place for many years without a clue as to why you're there? Don't forget that God moves his people into position so that they're there and ready right when he wants them. Don't get discouraged in the waiting. He knows you're there and he knows why. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. As Pastor Dave works his way through the book of Esther, we're learning more and more about God's plans and purposes through history and through your life today. A Sure Hope comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. To learn more about the church, including service times and location, head on over to assurehoperadio.com. Once again, that website is assurehoperadio.com. While you're there, check out the links to our live stream on Facebook and YouTube, as well as our archive of messages for today's Christ follower. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you back here again next time on A Sure Hope. Show.